Good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshalls gets away. Marshalls gets away. Marshalls still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Voluntary Tackle. The only NRL podcast sinking money into a GoFundMe campaign to have Ben Barber reinstated into the competition. So long as that comp takes place on Mars. And there are no other players in it. And there are zero spectators. And Ben has no access to air. I'm your host, Damon Brown. And today on the show, we're asking why the Tigers have 15 captains, ponder the wisdom of the Roosters extending Robbo's contract, and we put a blindingly hot light on the hopes of the Bulldogs this year. Before we get started, please, if you have time, rate and or review the show wherever you're listening to the podcast to keep the lap dancers during the show going. Those hookers do not pay for themselves, and believe me, I've already pitched that idea and it was an emphatic no. So please do rate the show or follow us on Twitter at the handle at Voluntary Tackle to keep up to date with our absurd views. But before we go on, I'm joined in the Sports Best Friends studios by the only man who travelled all the way to Italy just to gawk incessantly at naked images of a young Sophia Loren. It's, of course, Xander Rosotto. Welcome to the show, mate. It's good to be back, mate. And uh, for the record, I was, I was there purely to, uh, to stare at the gigantic bullsack of the David. I didn't have that impression of that statue. I thought he had quite the pin tick. But you're saying he's a large schlong with a giant sack? It looks like that from afar, but because the thing is so massive, as you stand under it, all you can see is these these you know monumental testicles, and the rest of the body is obviously mm. a lot larger. But um, yeah, the the perspective from underneath is um, is telling. So it's a sheer size. If you were to take it on a ratio basis, he could still have quite a small scrotum. That's correct, but you know, okay. like, I mean, well, it's good when, to know. When, when the when the size of the statue is, is the size of a small mountain, uh, the scrotum is still quite something to behold. I mean, I've noticed that in a lot of the um, sort of you know European romantic sculptures, um, because I've obviously ventured into many of these museums over the years, Xander, and I have noticed that the junk of a lot of these people, because they get it out a lot in that era for some reason, isn't particularly large, and I don't know if that's down to sort of malnutrition. Or the fact that maybe I'm a little bit bigger than I think I am. No, look, I, I think it's it's purely a fact that you know the, these guys are all very ripped, and I'm pretty sure they just had some form of pre-industrial steroids. It's a long way to go, obviously, for Sophia Loren porn. Did you not think of just trying Pornhub and hoping for the best? No, 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 mate. It's uh, it's called desensitisation. At a certain point, you just have to have the real thing. That what well, you wanted to meet the real Sophia Loren, did you? That's right. That's why I was there wasn't successful. Yeah. Hunt the mis- itself was a turn-on, i got to say. <laughs> I wouldn't make the mistake of, of lusting after post-noughties, Sophia Loren, mate. Uh, you <laughs> might get some serious gravel rash wank regret, I assure you. Um, by the way, how was Italy? Did it make you a better man? Look, it made me a fatter man. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it was amazing, mate. Absolutely loved it. Look, there's, uh, there's no media watch Mario today. Uh, he would love to have joined us, Xander, but he said he's actually having his second vasectomy i didn't actually know you could have two of those well he 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 has always come across as a particularly virile man i mean maybe Mm. uh, maybe the sperm had just jumped through the tired tubes and uh and powered their way on and you know he's he's just needed to go that that next step i mean 
eventually he's obviously just going to need to be you know completely castrated. So he's got that guerrilla commander semen that, that sort of can't be stopped. They open the tubes up again because I, I thought perhaps maybe he was double cocked. You know, and if so, this was what I, my quandary was: if he was uh, too penis ridden, um, why would you only cut the cord on one of them to begin with and keep the other well, one armed and you, dangerous? I don't know if you cut the cord on the penis, mate. Um, it's uh, it, it's that's not where the operation takes place, mate. It's an expression, mate. It's it's like pulling the <laughs> rib cord. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Look, before we go on, Xander, a big shout out to regular listener Lambretta. Uh, and all those who are currently affected by the floods, we're certainly wishing you all the best from the team at TVT. Now, look, the world of rugby league, it's heating up, Xander, and obviously I'm not just referring to the ridiculous temperament of Matt Lodge. Shit's getting real. The season is almost upon us, and we here at TVT are primed and ready to bring all of you the latest news and analysis. And first we want to ask the question, how many chefs does it take to ruin a broth? Or in this case, how many tigers does it take to become a Chinese Tiger penis soup. Xander, the Tigers have named five skippers. They are James Tarmow, Luke Brooks, Adam Dewey, Ken Mamalor, and Tyrone Peachy. Now, for a club that is often criticised for not having a singularly defined direction, have they just done this for sheer comedic purposes? Because if so, it's quite brilliant. Well, I mean, I don't want to be um, too harsh of a judge, in all honesty, as a Roosters fan, because I can still remember when we had four captains. We ended up having to cut them down through sheer attrition in the last couple of years. But uh, it's not exactly a new idea, right? The, the trend in the game as a whole, and uh, Rui Masters wrote about this a while back, has gone away from singular captains to leadership groups. Um, five does still seem a little excessive. I mean, you know, at a certain point, you're, if your leadership group is your entire team, then it's, the concept begins to lose its purchase. Um, but, you know, I, I guess... Perhaps it's a it could it could simply be an early season thing where they're gonna they're gonna cast the net wide and see who shines and maybe narrow it from there. Um, that's the only way I can kind of kind of make sense of it. But um, it's right. So yeah. you see it as a bit like Australian Idol. They're gonna start off with the whole team as captain and then whittle them down over time. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. The Interesting only way strategy. That's me. so madge, isn't it? It's a very mad strategy, uh, come to now, think of it. Out of interest, Zander, who were our four captains? What era are we talking? Is this back in the uh, the dark ages of Brian Smith and Willie Mason? I, I remember us having this discussion at, uh, in 2014, but I think it, the concept went on afterwards, where I think we had, uh, at the time, it was uh, Friend, Cordner, Minicello, and... Matt Ikevalu? <laughs> Before his time. Um, mercifully, um, and uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember who the fourth one was, but I remember us having this very discussion, uh, mm. where, where you quizzed me. You, you mentioned it at the time, I always remember because you said, You know, can you believe we've got four captains? And I didn't even realize it at the time. Well, I think it's testament, uh, to the absurdity of the ideas and to the fact that we can't remember who the fourth person was. That is just too many. I think if you're getting to the point where you can't quite remember all of the names, it seems to me that maybe there's a diminishing return on your investment. But I have this for you this was. The comments from Benny Elias, who's not happy about this, although he's never happy about anything that Tigers do because he wants to own them. And until that time, he will shit on everything that they do. But nonetheless, he did say this. He said, there should be a leader in any organisation, especially a football side, where you have a captain that you respect and follow through the good and the bad. Why is five captains the go? He questioned, why not three or nine? It's just embarrassing. Do you think Benny Elias makes a good point? 
I personally would love to see it get to the point where we have all 13 as captain because <laughs> then we've really made the concept redundant um, just just for the sheer comedy of it. I want to know this, though. In what situations is having five captains better than one? You know, for example, could you have five captains challenges? Is that a potential loophole? <laughs> yeah, that's that. I suppose that's one way of looking at it. You, you maybe they each get their twenty seconds. I mean, it's it's a funny one. Like I can kind of you know when 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 we had four, I remember thinking, oh, I guess it's two for the forwards and two for the um, the backs. Um, you know, which in a certain sense you can say, well, you know, you got backup for each, and you know they're they're separate units in a way. I'm really interested to know why they settled on five in particular. Yeah, maybe it's a balance of power thing. Like they've got the lower house and the upper house, and they never want to have a, a hung parliament. So the, five, parliament. the fifth is a speaker, effectively. Now, I imagine it's Ken Mamalo would be the, the swinging voter. He'd be the, the Rob Oakshot of the 2012 election or whatever the fuck it was. Uh, look, we've gone off track, but look, what I will say to you is this. Uh, perhaps the group of skippers, and I say group, obviously, could inspire the team in the sheds at halftime via some kind of harmonious barbershop quintet routine. She could go in there and say, I don't know, Brooks is overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. And then, you know, everyone sort of gets up and goes, fuck yeah, let's let's get out there and smash him. Except for Luke Brooks, who's obviously <laughs> after that would be morally destroyed. I don't know if that's a tactic is, that you haven't really thought about. Is Luke Brooks in the leadership group? I'd be interested to know that. He is. Yeah, he's one oh, of them. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I, I, I want to know, do you think that that's a bit of a slap in the face to Luke Brooks? Because... Obviously, he's been in their system a long time. He's, he's probably one of the most capped players now in that team. He's their halfback. And clearly, if you haven't earned the C by that stage, you'd think the coaching staff must have a question mark against your leadership skills. I know he's included in the, in the group of five. Um, but for me, that would seem like a slight on Luke Brooks' leadership. I don't know how you see that. Well, it's uh, it's certainly an indication that they think he needs plenty of support. <laughs> so they're they're trying not to insulting insult him, but uh, insulting him anyway. We've got uh, we've got four other people to help you on your way. Yeah, not sure having every player in the Tigers team, bar Alex Twall, be captain is the answer. And and you mentioned leadership groups before, which makes sense to me, right? But I am a traditionalist personally. I prefer one captain. Um, you know, the point of the role for me is that it's a, I guess a focal point of the team's attention when it's needed. Captains aren't always needed throughout the 80 minutes, but they are needed in key times when the chips are down. Who out of those five people do you envisage being the long-term captain? I assume this isn't tenable. There's there's word that Adam Dewey is probably the likely candidate, but if you cast your eyes across that Tigers squad, who would Xander Risotto have as the captain moving forward if they were to just choose one man? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to think it's Adam Dewey just in terms of... Um the, uh, the the leadership he's shown in the last like in the last couple of years in particular, um, mm. when they've gone well, it's because he's usually uh, really taken the game himself, um, and he's he, he's a player that really gives his all. Uh, I feel and uh, definitely bleeds for the jersey. So I think when you when you're thinking about captains, you want guys that will bleed for the jersey and lead by example. And and to me, he's probably and also has a bit of smarts about him. And I think um, he's the best best exponent of that they've got. I think he I think he's probably is a good choice. He's some guy that, as you said, he likes to get his hands on the ball. He's highly involved mm. and he's very passionate. And so you I think if you put those sort of characteristics together, it obviously starts to create a, a profile of someone that you'd want to have leading the group around. I, I understand he's really well respected at the club as well, which helps. Um, the complication here though, 
being that he's injured. So he won't be playing probably for the first quarter of the season. So they'll have to work out at least an interim regime, if you will, seeing it's, it seems a bit like a government, to handle it while he's away. For me, actually, you know, the other experienced guy in the in that group is James Tarmow. He's played a, a shitload of games. And ordinarily, you'd think he'd be a great option if he had a voice louder than David Carradine mid-wank. That guy was a virtual <laughs> mute in Tales from Tigertown. I don't know if you watched that doco or not, but I was really surprised at just how downbeat and, and how much he lacked vocal for such an experienced yeah. forward. It's interesting, isn't it, given that he was part of that um, successful Cowboys uh, outfit um, before joining the Tigers, right? Um, mm. it, he, he did seem to be one of those players that, that did seem to have lost his mojo a little bit after leaving. You're right on paper, it seems to he seems to be a good choice, but um, maybe culturally he's not the right fit or he's, he's not um, responding under under the current coach, coaching regime or maybe just doesn't like doesn't like the inner west i mean i don't blame him to be honest hey mate i love the inner west lived there for five years great place but i will say this um good coffee what i fair. noticed you know, great coffee great pubs great cafes you're just playing wrong but anyway look we'll move on um <laughs> i uh, in that documentary the thing that really stood out for me was you know because madge gave this team numerous sprays throughout the season that was captured during this series great series by the way if anyone hasn't watched it Go out and watch it. I think it's still on Foxtel or on KO. Um, but as he was delivering these sprays, I, I it was really noticeable just how much of a statue James Tarmow was. He didn't have his head down. Mm. He was staring at Madge, but it, it just seemed vacant. Now, I don't, I've heard the guy talk before in interviews. He's not dumb, but there's obviously something about his character which doesn't like being the centre of attention or doesn't like being that person who stirs other troops into actions. I think he's just a bit a bit insular, maybe, um, and that doesn't lend itself typically to being a great captain. So otherwise, he would be the logical candidate, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I mean, it, um, it could also just be that Madge's, like, literally it sucked all the oxygen out of the room with his <laughs> rants that um, no one could actually speak after that. Just sucked the life force out of them. They all looked a bit shriveled. I have to admit by the end of it, but I didn't know if that was just a lot of the saliva acting over the, on the skin over time. But look, it's, I want to talk broadly here beyond the Tigers, Xander. I want to get your take on this. How important is a skipper to a team's success, do you think? The history of the game shows they're extremely important. Um, hmm. Good premiership sides have always had skippers that, that lead by example and make um, very astute tactical decisions. I mean, you really want the mix of both. You want, you want that captain that... Um, that uh, players are willing to, you know, that, that, that leads by example and, and gives their all, but that will inspire the team to do the same. I mean, it's not good enough that they just do it themselves, but they need to inspire the rest of the team. And on top of that, you want them to also be making the right calls at the right times, know how to manage the game, know when to up the tempo and when to slow it down. Um, yep. You know, you can have a very talented team, but without that maturity in your captaincy, it's, it's very hard to, to become a premiership winning team. Yeah, and I think if you look across a lot of the successful teams, you'd be hard put to find too many that didn't have a natural-born leader in it. Look, for me, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think, you know, there are some captains that lead by voice and some that lead by actions, or some that do both, obviously. But crucially, it's it's also how they lead the group off the field, not just on the field. Um, you know, and there are players out there that we've seen. Uh, people may not like it, but like Cameron Smith. Um, or Joey Johns or, or Freddie Fittler, Darren Lockyer comes to mind as well, who were almost renowned 
for being able to change the mood of a game. They were reading the game, and when the team was struggling, they were able to, as an individual, change the mood of, of the team, either through a great play or a big hit or a stirring speech or whatever it is, tactically as well. But they were able to actually shift the performance. And that's not an easy thing to do, obviously, in a, a sort of a high-octane physical sport like rugby league. But, you know, and it's only the very few that I think that are great at it. Uh, but for me, I agree with you. I think they're actually they're more important than people give them credit for. And if you consider that there have been some rule changes with captain's challenge, it only makes them more important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's an element of the game that um, has become quite. I mean, there, there's only there's only one challenge each, but you know they're they're so critical in very tight games that you you don't want dumb decisions. Walking down memory lane, who were some of the best skippers in the time you've watched the game? You think? I'm going to be incredibly biased. Um, of course, you <laughs> as are. You can, as, as you can, as you can imagine, um, I think I think it's very hard to go past Boyd Cordner at the Roosters um, during the the uh, the back to back premierships. You'd also have to say that Kronk was effectively a de, cap, a de facto captain as well. Um, incredible mm. leadership uh, there. So that's probably a good example of visual leadership roles. Um, yeah. Although we did cap it at two. We didn't go into double digits like the Tigers did. No, that's that's right. Um, which which was good. You had the 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 uh, hard forward man leading by example, and then you had the astute tactician. So yeah, perfect mix there. I might just leave it at oh, that. Look. Actually, it's just in. <laughs> no, but I I would say I would say you know during my time watching the game, I'd also have to say Andrew Johns. Um, obviously, when uh, you know during his era, like particularly particularly his, his state of origin appearances. Um, yeah. I don't know how many he captained. Um, was he captain in the 2005 series? I think he did. I think he had a yeah. captaincy run. I think that's when he first got it, actually, during that little run in the mid-noughties where we won three in a row. Yeah. Well, he was. He came back in that that one series, and it was always. I just. I still remember it as just being the most complete performance I'd seen up until that point um, of a of a player. And he'd been out for eighteen months, and he just came back and mm. completely dominated the game. You can't go past uh, Cameron Smith, obviously, just sheer game management. Yeah. Um, and as you say, you know, not 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 just uh, being able to lead his team and, and demand standards that players often talk about um, the the Cameron Smith dirty look um, that nobody wanted to get. For putting in a poor performance, which yeah, well, the dirty look was normally directed at the referee, and they often caved in the face of it, didn't they? <laughs> well, that was what I was about to get to. Is that you know he brought that additional element where he would he would manage the referees in a way that other players uh, players couldn't. And now that he's not playing anymore, I can I can be a little bit more objective about it. And also because um, Mario is not here and not immediately yelling um, abuse and invective <laughs> the. the uh, the sound of his name. Look, not to sound like the echo chamber that TVT is, Xander, but I, I have to agree with you on Boyd Cordner, God rest his cerebral cortex, because you know he was one of those players who uh, we talked before about playing and performing when the chips are down. And I don't, I don't think I've ever, I can remember a player taking that position so literally. Like he took the hit ups that nobody wanted, yeah, because he knew that he could lift the team if he did it. He knew that if he knew these hits were going to hurt him, he was going to hurt his body. They were coming out of their own twenty, often in times when the team was getting were getting muscled up on and getting dominated. But that was his way of saying to the team, "It's this way, boys. The victory is this way," and he did it with his body. You know, there are other players that might do it with their tactics or do it with a with their speech. Boyd Cordner did it by putting his body on the line. Now, unfortunately, that has taken its toll. There's only so long you can do it. But fuck me, it was pretty commendable at times. 
you know, it definitely has a um, a use by date that style of play. Unfortunately, just because it it is so brutal on the body, but mm. uh, you know you can't you can't but admire the heart. Absolutely, and look, a special mention to Paul the Chief Harrigan. He was another oh, yeah. favourite of mine um, and a great skipper. And uh, in a previous show, we actually interviewed Robbie O'Davis, which is one of my favourite interviews that we've done. And he actually told the story of the stirring speech that the Chief gave before they went out into the 1997 Grand Final and the fact that he had basically the whole shed in tears. And this was a man that uh, wasn't really known for giving big speeches, but he basically conveyed to the team how much it would mean to him if they won. And Robbie O credits that speech with being the driving force of them getting over the line. Now, it was that and the brilliance of Andrew Johns playing with a punctured lung, obviously, and the blinding speed of Darren Albert, that helped. And the, the man shake and the human growth hormone that Adam McDougall was taking. All of that culminated in what was a great victory for the Newcastle Knights in 1997. But I did think it was important to mention uh, the great Paul Harrigan in that breath as well. And we can't talk about the best captains without talking about the worst. I want to get your take. Who was the worst skipper in the rugby league you've ever seen? It's a, it's a tricky one because it's uh, oftentimes it's, it's the, the poor decisions that you kind of forget. Um, bad captains tend to be forgettable. Now, that's probably a good point. How was Brayton Astor for you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, look, I mean, I don't want to I be too hard I think that maniacal laughter says it all, really. I don't want to be too hard on old Braith. I still, you know, still can't go past that, that uh, win over the Tigers in, what, 2010? Uh, what was it, 2010 or 2011? I can't remember. 2010. But, um, yeah, 2010. 2010. You know, for all his faults, he, he was a part of a few special moments for the Roosters, so I don't want to be too harsh. But, um, yeah, there were some odd decisions there from time to time. <laughs> you can't take that away from him, right? He's a much maligned figure. I think far too much, actually. Um, but that 2010 performance, you'll never take that field goal. What is it, 40 out, not yeah. even in front, no from time the on the clock. the sideline pretty well. It's yeah, just... I mean... What a moment that was. Sorry, and Tigers my, my, fans. This is not a podcast for Tigers fans, is it? <laughs> my my favourite Braith and Astor moment was the, uh, I think, was it in this any game against Souths where somebody punched him in the face and the referee penalised? David Firelogo. <laughs> Firelogo, okay. Yeah. The referee penalised Braith. And Can I tell like, you this, I, Xander? This is, this is my take on that moment because I was at that game. I was out at Homebush. <laughs> And I went out there with a, a mate of mine who's a dyed-in-the-wool South fan. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. And I remember, as you said, he gets punched in the face, which is now a send-off. And not only does he not get sent off, he, he, the penalty goes against him and he gets sin-bid. And yep. I turned to my mate and I went, oh, fuck, mate, how rough is that? And he went, he had it coming. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of fandom that Souths bring with them to games. It's just a complete one-eyedness that, that I even make you blush, mate. Well, I mean, you know, Souths fans, mate, they're not exactly human. Yeah, Look, no, that, that still has to go, that goes down as not just the funniest, uh, like, captaincy moments, but just one of the funniest rugby league moments of all time. Like, I mean, you just, it's just, it's just hard to, hard to go past the look on his face. He was so dumbfounded at the referee. He was so shocked, exactly. Him. What I loved about that is the referee clearly had visual evidence. That was the blood gushing down his face that maybe Braith had been wronged in that situation, but not even the blood was enough of a deterrent for the referee to, to give the Roosters the penalty that day. Sorry, I'm going to give you my take on the worst captain. For me, it was Hansi Cronje. Um Not rugby league related, obviously, but he was the worst, you know, in terms of match fixing. And I guess in the end, he got his comeuppance. He was definitely killed. 
I don't know if you've looked into that or not. He died in an inverted commas plane crash, but they got they got Hansley. And, um, you know, for me, he didn't lead by it's example. taking a, a pretty dark turn suddenly. <laughs> You're <laughs> right, it has. exactly where I was expecting the conversation to go. Mate, um, this is TVT. You, ne- you should never expect it to be linear in any way, shape or form. Um, look, I'm going to stick with the Tigers here. Jackson Hastings, I don't know if you got a chance to see him pull on the Tigers jersey for the first time and play in the trials. Do you think 2022 could be a season of redemption for Jacko? Well, I mean, it's trial forms hard to make too much of, but he was um, he was man of steel in the Super League a couple of years running um, and that's did right. pretty well over there. Um, so was Sam Obst, so let's not write home about that's, it. That's, tr- that's true, but, you know, he still... He still was successful in the Super League, um, and by all accounts, he did mature a bit. I mean, you know, he was pretty useless for us, but he was still a bit young. And sometimes, sometimes players do that, you know, like they're they're too much the center of attention. You know, he obviously, uh, obviously comes from a pretty good pedigree. You know, the name's pretty famous. Everyone knows uh, the Hastings name, and it might have gone to his head a little bit going to England, where he was less known, and in. Um, I suppose uh, a, like a, a sport that is of smaller renown over there um, might mm. have helped mature him a bit, and you know he, he was obviously obviously uh, played well in that in that uh, competition, even if it's not quite the standard that we're used to in the NRL. So mm. yeah, you know there's every chance. I mean, he, he certainly is has built up to to have a redemption story. I think coming back. Um, in a Tigers unit where, I mean, you know, like I assume that he's now one of the captains because, I mean, <laughs> there's so many of them. <laughs> well, I'm like you. I, I can, I'm a little bit, I can get underwhelmed uh, by the Super League stories and particularly when people get Man of Steel. I tend to think they hand that award out to people who are untouched by rugby league civilization. They've never played the game and they seem to get that award. So I don't have a, I don't take a lot of stock in the performance side necessarily, but it's interesting, I think, just him being away from the NRL where he had some culture issues and going away and having some professional success, I thought maybe that, that might instill some maturity. And I have to say, after the game with the Roosters, when they interviewed him, he did seem very humble. Now, I don't think he was playing mm. that up for the cameras. He did seem like he had changed somewhat. He gave full credit to the opposition. He wasn't writing out home about his performance his body language seemed a little bit different to me. So I do wonder if he actually has turned a corner because for me, it was never a talent issue with Jackson Hastings. It was always a psychological slash ego issue and the way he fit in with the club that he was at. Um, so he could well be a great buy. You know, I mean, I've, I've given him plenty of stick on this show for various reasons. I think legitimately so. But I'm on board the redemption story if he can do it. And God, the bloody Tigers need one. The Tigers need him to be great. So it could be a dual narrative here where Hastings turns his career around and he could also turn around the fortunes of the Tigers. It'd be nice to see the Tigers in the finals for the first time in, like, I think it's a generation at this point. <laughs> 2011, was it? It's been a while. Yeah. They are an incredible club, the Tigers. You know, huge, huge support base when they do well. Uh, they they are out in force. So, I mean, I genuinely do hope that he's part of a redemption story, not just for himself, but for the club. I do too, mate. And I just hope he can put the rear vision mirror of the time he played for the Roosters and ran through a hole and then ran back through it again. Something I've never seen before or since. <laughs> he clearly wasn't on his game. We don't want him to bring that kind of terrible tactic to the Tigers because for me, that's the equivalent of ejaculating and then marshalling your semen back into the tube. It just doesn't make sense. 
Now, Xander, perhaps the greatest mind since Gary Kasparov has re-signed with the Tricolours. I speak, of course, about the man I have a statue of mounted in my shower. It's Trent Robinson. Uh, it's a five-year contract, and I want to pick your brains on this. How big is this for the boys from Bondi? And is five years too long or not long enough? It's, it is a long contract. I mean, for, for a player, five years would be too long, I think. I mean, even though they did sign James Tamo to like a 10-year contract um, <laughs> as a forward. Tamalolo. Um, uh, yeah, James Tamalolo. Tamalolo, sorry. Jet lag. I mean, two minds about it. I'm, I'm kind of glad we've, we've locked him up. Um, for a fair while, um, but uh, yeah, like it does, it doesn't give you too much wiggle room if things start to go pear shaped. Um, so I, he's been incredible for the club, and I, I, I almost want him to be, you know, coach for life as part of me as well. But um, I don't know. I do kind of feel like you also want to have a bit more leeway, and having having five years, it's uh, does if if things go sour. I mean, it means that they're going to be there's a, there's a long time where things can be going poor. Is there even a chance though with someone like Trent? that it could go pear-shaped. Now, I know that he's, you know, had a, a great run of success bar basically one season since he's joined us. But it almost, it doesn't even provide the inkling to me that it could go pear-shaped because he's got so many of his ducks in a row from the very bottom of the club to the top. Um, I, I would normally agree with that assessment that you don't want to be locking coaches in for that long. But when it comes to Robinson, I'm completely fine with it because I can't see... I can't even envisage a scenario where it goes pear-shaped, frankly. No, it's a fair point. Like, I'm a bit like you. I, I just, uh, I think conceptually five years is a long time, but um, it, it is it is different when it's a coach um, to a player where you worry about the, the, the bodies wearing down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess just, just when it is when it is like half a decade. If uh, he'd been signed to five years without having been with the club, it'd probably have been too long. But because he's been with the club since 2013, um, mm. you know, like I mean, it's not as if he's 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 an unknown quantity. You know, he's taken the club to uh, three premierships. Um, you know, four minor premierships. They've constantly been a threat. He's recruited really well. Really well. He's rebuilt the culture. Um, yeah, I'm talking myself out of the concern at this point. <laughs> I'm with this, you. This actually shocked me, Xander. I don't know if you knew this already, but did you know that Robbo is already the longest-serving coach in Roosters history? I didn't know he'd actually achieved that mantle yet. Yeah, wow. Well, no, I didn't know that either. Um, so he well, is a, obviously a well-established figure, in other words. It'll be 10 years um, next year. So I guess I guess uh, I, I would have thought that there'd been a coach that had been around for more than 10 years given that the, the club has been around since 1908. But, yeah, that's interesting. It uh, surprises me, actually. Maybe it just surprises us because the last coach before him was Brian Smith. <laughs> Sorry, can we just hold each other for a moment? My spine still shudders every time I hear his name. <laughs> oh, he's the only human who could not get on with Daddy Badiris. That man sucked. Um, but, look, this is what Nick Politis had to say, mate. Um, he yep. said, in my view... Trent is the game's best thinker. He is a man of high integrity with genuine love for his players, the history of our club and the area we represent. Loves a good paper brown brag, apparently. That's what some of these detractors also say. But to me, that actually sums it up, Xander. I, I love him as a coach, but I absolutely adore this bloke as a human. Yeah, no, li- likewise. I love the way he's, um, in particular, throughout the, the concussion issues that the club's faced, he's always put the players first. That's a great and- point, yeah. Yeah, no, and and he's had he's had incredible perspective on that issue. Um, whereas, you know, sometimes I do feel as though clubs 
take risks because they're results focused. Uh, Robinson's always been, you know, like treating the players as human beings first, and I, I have incredible respect for that. And I think that goes to the the, the culture within the club as well and, and the, the reason that players want to play under him. As you say, it, it's not a results-based approach. It's almost a pride-based approach that Robbo has put in place at Bondi. The players don't just want to win. They seem to want to honour the club. They want to play to their best of their ability. And to me, that's kind of what makes me love the club more today than I probably ever have. It's the, the culture and commitment of the playing group under Robbo that's so impressive. And I think you're right to actually isolate the HIA issue, the concussion mm. issue in the game, because, you know, this wasn't an imperative that was necessarily handed down by the NRL. It seems to me that the Roosters took the initiative there and and is basically leading the game when it comes to protecting the players' brains. And a lot of the time at our own performance detriment. But again, he cares about the players. It goes far beyond a results-based approach. And, you know, win, lose or draw, that makes me love my club more. And I wonder, I'm, I'm assuming other fans of the Roosters probably feel the same way. And I, I dare say, as much as we're often maligned by our competitors, um, we've probably earned some secret admirers in that regard as well. Players from other teams comment on it, right? Like that they, you know, that they respect that. I think even when uh, when they signed um, uh, Suwali, he commented on wanting to play under Robinson because of it, uh, his integrity. Um, yeah. And that, that kind of speaks to it as well is the fact that you know you're going to attract good talent if if your coach is showing that um like that they're, they're not just there to to get the best out of the player as a footballer as well but they're there to help you know they're, they're there to, to protect protect them from themselves as well but also to you know help them develop as people yeah and i think that's again what's probably wooed brandon smith as well mm. i don't know if you've listened to him talk about it on the podcast um where he got <laughs> grilled for saying a few things that I, I probably should I do remember this. Uh, yeah, uh, but it, you know. it was the it was the Robinson influence that really swayed him. And, you know, going mm-hmm. to his house, meeting his family, uh, for some reason he was really wowed by the fact that they all spoke French as well. But he could tell that this was a coach that was going to look after him as well, not just in terms of managing results, but he could be a mentor to him professionally and personally. And I guess that is attractive when you're a 20-something-year-old who's making a sea change, going from one city to the next, may not necessarily be really close to your family. Your club sort of becomes your family. And you want to have mm. that sort of patriarch at the club be someone that's really looking out for your welfare. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, you're making a decision that's going to impact your life for, you know, uh, usually, you know, usually a fair little, uh, like a, a couple of years at least. Um, you know, your lifestyle, your family, and you know how you how you live your day to day life as well. I mean, they they spend a lot of time at the club. Having come from a successful culture like Brandon Smith as well, like he'll he'll recognise standards. This goes back to what we talked about with with Tarmow. I, I do think that you know when sometimes when players come from really good systems and they just take a big paycheck, they can be left worse players for it. Look, I hear you, Xander, because as you said, it doesn't matter what a Roosters player earns now anyway, because we know Nick Politis will look after you <laughs> post-career with whatever houses you want on the East Coast. Uh, he'll he'll find a way to give uh, you three you or four of those. Have you checked the stock market lately, Matt? I'm not so sure that anyone's got that much money left. <laughs> That's right. There's a, there's a few cracks for me, but don't worry. We can, uh, we can afford the old Brandon Smith. Um, but look, something occurs to me, and just in terms of, a, I guess, providing a bit of a testament to that culture we're talking about, and I can hear our listeners now going, fuck these guys, can they stop wanking over their club? <laughs> I promise we will in a second. But when Boyd retired early because he was forced into um, early retirement because of his injury, 
you know, he had a, a great speech, I thought, but where he really cracked up emotionally was when he started talking about he'll miss being a rooster. Mm. That was the thing that broke him and, and cracked him up. And to me, that was, that was all you needed to hear, really, is the fact that it meant so much to him. You know, it was the pride of actually wearing the jersey, of being around that club and around the culture that he would miss the most. It wasn't, you know, the trophies or the representative honours or the money. It was the fact that, you know, he's going to miss being a rooster. And um, I think in no small part that is down to Robbo. Um, and I'm very happy because, you know, there was talk only a few seasons ago of Robbo actually moving back to France because his wife is yeah. French. Yeah. Um, and apparently the rumour was that she was homesick. So this extension kind of puts paid to a few of those rumours. I was a little bit nervous about all of that. Um, yeah. I can only Mind assume you, mate, he's not moving if, back. I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't really want to be rushing back to Europe right now anyway. So. No, I mean, I can only assume he's not moving back because France may no longer exist soon. Because as we know, France does tend to get conquered in around eight minutes anytime there's a military conflict. So... I actually think they've actually got the white flag preloaded at the top of the Eiffel Tower now. It's a, a constitutional reform. Under yeah, Macron. look, I mean, I wouldn't say that in France at the moment. Um, I think the, uh, the the French are uh, uh, under Macron uh, are, are pretty bullish about um, their ability to resist. They don't like being called um, surrender monkeys anymore. Mm, okay, well, um, I didn't use the word monkey, but I, I hear you. I did. No, well, like as I said, all the reverberations throughout history. I've, for some reason, I just want to be saying something like. Oh, take my baguettes and submarines. Just leave me my wine and copy of Charlie Hebdo. That's a terrible accent. That'll get cut. Um, Now that was somewhere between (laughs) French and Jamaican. I'm not really sure what that was. I'll tell you what it was. It was shit. That's what it was. (laughs) Now the goat for me is still very much Wayne Bennett. Now I know you're going to get up me for that, but I'm going to say that just based on results. But personally, I prefer to have Robbo because I know he's more holistic in the way he loves the game. Wayne's about winning through personal psychology and to fuck with the media and to fuck with the team's future and to fuck with the comp. But it strikes me that Robbo's about being the, getting the best footy team in every way, shape and form for long haul. Oh, look, I'm not going to go into details about this, but someone in my family is not very well at the moment and uh, the, the Roosters actually held a benefit for him and... Huh. I could testify to the fact that that Trent has been uh, personally in contact uh, a number of times. So I know for a fact that he is someone that um, is just a good human being and makes me really love my club. But look, just to pull out a little bit and talk about coaches more broadly, how important, Xander, do you think having a good coach is versus other factors like rosters, you know, game strategy, luck, injuries, all those kind of things? Look, it's it's part of a mix, right? Like, I mean, you can have an incredible coach, but if you're if you back the back room of the club's a mess, your you know recruitment, um, the people responsible for recruitment, you know, if, if they're garbage, um, and uh, you know the the systems in place there aren't there to support the coach, and it kind of doesn't matter how good they are, um, yep. you know, there's only so much a, a coach can do. But uh, if you've if you've got the infrastructure around them, they make all the difference. Um, yep. so yeah, I think you need, you need both is a short version, but, um, I, you like, uh, the, the, the coach, the coach can be neutered effectively be by, by bad infrastructure at the club. Look, it never pays to have an ordinary coach unless you recruit that delightful Paul Langmack, <laughs> then it's worth it because he's a funny man. Rock on you zany devil.
Now, Xander, we're putting a team in the spotlight this episode that nobody wanted in the spotlight for the past couple of years it happens. It's the Bulldogs. Uh, the most exciting thing they've achieved last year was having an audio-visual thief in the halves. But big shout-out to Lachlan Lewis. But things have changed dramatically, mate. They now have Gus Gould at the development helm. Their salary cap constraints um, aren't biting as hard as they were, and they're actually able to go out into the market and buy some serious talent. Now, I want to rattle off a few names for you. Uh, this is just a flavour of the new talent they have in their squad this year. Matt Burton, Matt Dufty, Brent Naden, Paul Vaughan, Josh Adokar, Tavita Pangai Jr., Braden Burns. Now, if these guys could unearth a decent number seven this year, I'd be slamming some serious cold hard cash down on them for the top four. But I want to get your thoughts. How do you see the Bulldogs this year? It's, it's an impressive roster, isn't it? Like, it's hard to hard to go past that sort of recruitment. But you're right, though. The, the, the linchpin still kind of remains the halves. I mean, if they don't have anyone to unlock them, um, you know, like they could still be left floundering a little bit. But they're not going to be lacking leadership. Um, mind you, the trial form's been interesting. It's been interesting to see the... So the Sharks, under um, under our old mate Fitzy, has, yep. uh, you know, wiped the floor with the Bulldogs in their first... Uh, you know, run against them or the second round of the trials, which was interesting because they got they got carved up by the Panthers in their first round. Um, and the only other game they played is a is a sixteen all draw um, against the Knights. So, you know, it it like I said, it's hard to make too much trial form. But um, yeah, I I kind of expect them to burst out of the gates a little bit even in 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 those games. Um, so I'm really looking forward to watching them play to see how you know they they go and and to also see how uh, Trent Barrett coaches. Or you know, if he if he lives up to the legend um, that's uh, you know that he's built around himself before he'd come to the Bulldogs, um, now that he actually has a decent roster, was it a legend or was it a nightmare? I know that the end of his tenure at Manly was pretty unceremonious. They kind of kicked him out, tarred and feathered him. Yeah, um, well, he couldn't mind get a, you, that was a good a example a of what we we're talking about before, though, right? With um, bad backrooms and poor support, like it sounded like Manly was an absolute shambles, and then he. Hmm. Uh, Went uh, went back to um, the Panthers and did all right. Mind you, the Panthers did even better without him. So it's hard to say how influential he was there. Um, but he was well regarded, you know, by a lot of people um, in the know. So I don't know. It's it, he went there with a lot of fanfare. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see if there really is anything there. Like there's been a good a lot of good excuses for why he hasn't performed. Mm. Um, so yeah, you're right. It is a it's a huge season for Trent Barrett. Something I hadn't really thought about, but. You know, and I don't exactly know where I sit on him in terms of him being a good coach. We haven't had that kind of season where we've we've really seen him uh, unencumbered, as it were. Yeah, I mean, he had a decent debut season with Manly. They went to the finals and mm. and lost very controversially. I mean, they were, they were in, in in their finals match. They were actually playing some pretty decent footy, and then before the wheels completely came off. And then he's been in the wilderness, and as we know, he's sort of come into a team which, I mean, there's virtually no cattle there to make them a first-grade team. So no one was really expecting a lot of him in that first season. But they were deplorably bad last mm. year, particularly in attack. I mean, they were so thoroughly boring. Wasn't Trent Barrett ahead of their attack at Penrith? Um, he was, I don't know. Yeah. It, was, it yeah. didn't translate, that's for sure, to the Blue and Whites last year. So it does, as you say, it's... Uh, Far fewer excuses this season, and we're going to get, a, a, I guess, a more accurate picture as to how good Trent Barrett is as a coach. But we do know he 
He's not coaching by himself. He's got the great Gus Gould over his shoulder. He's sort of heading up the development pipeline. How important do you think Gus will be in terms of their success this year? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a loaded question. I mean, you know, Gus has uh, been given a lot of credit for, for putting in the systems in place at Penrith. Um, and, you know, people in the know seem to uh, corroborate that. Like he's brought in some interesting characters to support uh, the uh, the rebuild at the Bulldogs, including um, Steve Hansen, the former All Blacks coach, which is which is an interesting hire as well mm. from a culture standpoint. So you know he knows he knows Barrett um, in terms of that backroom support we were talking about before. I mean that's a good indicator that that uh, like he'll have his you know like he'll have his back. The question is, of course, is that you know when he was at Penrith. Uh, there were murmurs. Well, it wasn't murmurs. It was it was basically conflict. There was between, blood on the floor. Yeah, there was blood on the floor. Conflict between the the board and and Gould over who should be hiring the next coach, and it'll turn into a farce as we remember. So as long as he's as long as that doesn't happen, and then <laughs> the Bulldogs don't try and hire uh, Wayne Bennett behind um, uh, the Lundy's back or whatever, but <laughs> it should be fine, I assume. But yeah, well, from what he, I understand. Phil Gould is a big fan of Trent Barrett and they're pretty good friends. So I don't imagine, um, unless something goes drastically wrong, that there'll be some kind of coup. Um, I think it'll be a very, very much a mentor-mentee role. I'm sure, as you said, Gus doesn't take a passive role in anything. Mm. So I think he will be actively, um, as much as he will deny it publicly, he'll be um, sort of actively working with Trent on recruitment tactics, grass-level things, having one-on-one chats with players. I'm sure Phil won't back away from doing any of those things. I think he's, uh, on the whole, he's generally more of a positive than a negative. I, I, I think with Phil Gould, the, the real knock on him is the longer he stays in a place seems to create more friction over time. I don't know why that is, whether or not he gets too big for the place um, or he just rubs people up the wrong way over time, but... Um, I get the feeling he'll be a pretty positive influence over at Canterbury in the short term at least and hopefully pretty good value for Trent Barrett as well. He's still a pretty green coach and you'll need that experience behind him. Um, but for me, the, the real change agent here is the roster. I mean, mm. very rarely do we see a team that's literally had more than half of its squad being cleaned out. That is a serious transition that's happened from one year to the other. Mm. Typically, there's a filtering in and out, but this is a virtually unrecognisable, uh, and yeah. it needed to be from last year's team. And I will say this, I think they've recruited beautifully. They've got a good balance. They've recruited genuine talent. Um, a few question marks over the temperament, but a couple of them, I guess notably Tavita Pangai Jr., who's has the cap- capability of being the best forward in the game, but will he? Um, it really comes down to his personality and whether someone can actually inspire him to play with the team and not be an individual. But if if, if someone like Tavita Pangai Jr. brought his best, um, gee whiz, that would change things a little bit. And in terms of the people that and they've kept, he's a premiership when you good. have to remember. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Playing for the Broncos in their you know one of their worst seasons in their history uh, the last two years. Tra- changes ship midstream to the premiership winners and wins Amazing. a fucking title. Like, it's just... <laughs> Do you, you see that in you basketball actually, all the time, but, you know. Should you actually keep the ring in those cases or should you hand it back? Yeah, I feel like you you almost ought to hand it to, you know, somebody else. He was immense, to be fair. Like, he came in and he, he did make a really big impact for the Panthers. He didn't, he wasn't, wasn't as guilty of those stupid, like, boneheaded plays that he was often mm. um, pulling out for the Broncos. Yeah. Like he was just a penalty magnet. I mean, you know, he was, he was a, um, like, 
one of the worst players when it came to dumb decisions on the field. Yeah. Just like brain snaps. That's when you look back at that Broncos team, right? And you know there's something toxic about that culture because if you you go Dave Fafita, Tavita Pangai Jr., Payne Haas, Matt Lodge, you go these forwards should dominate the competition. And as you said, they were they played as individuals and they did a lot of boneheaded things, some terrible mm. misses in defence. Their heads were never there. Not to digress, but it really showed you how dire things were at the Broncos. But but to stay on the Bulldogs, um, that number seven quandary. Now, it appears that it's probably going to come down to Avarillo, Flanagan or Wakeham. Now, none of these options necessarily excite me, but if you were Trent Barrett or his puppet master, Gus Gould, who would you choose as a number seven? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd probably be tempted to try Wakeham just to see. But, yeah. Um, he's, yeah, he's got some he's got some talent, that bloke. He just mm. doesn't seem to play 80 minutes and needs to defend better, but... Um, he's actually got a bit of flashiness. He's yeah, one of the rare kind of flashy I'm, players for the dogs I mean. last like, I mean, year. See what he see what happens when you when you really give him the reins. Like if he if he shines. Mm. I mean, early seasons are time to be doing a bit of experimenting. Is it over for Kyle then? And I'm t- take it from your tone that you never considered him there. Do you think Kyle Flanagan, after having you know a bit of a rocks and diamonds season for the Roosters, I actually thought more diamonds than rocks, but maybe I'm an outlier there. Yeah, he no, got tra- traded agree. away, um, but he hasn't found his feet at the Dogs. He's fairly found a starting position actually, and he was very famously yeah. upset halfway through last year when he got dropped, um, got caught in a hop during a media conference, and broke down in tears. He's only a yeah. young bloke. For me, I'm not prepared to write off his career, but. It seems like his career's gone backwards quickly. Um, his yeah, confidence I, has gone down. I feel a bit sorry for him. I really felt for him, for him uh, when when I saw that interview. I got to admit, because um, I I'm like you, I thought he thought he was solid. Like he um did have a habit of, of not not um, uh, capitalizing on uh, on opportunities, but he was a, you know he was a, a solid uh, solid player for us. I thought you know he, one of the better boots that we'd had for a while. He converted a lot of lot of uh, goals for us. Yeah, that's the other part. He's a goal kicker too. Yeah, yeah. He's not done. That's for sure. Like he just—he probably just needs. Uh, he he needs to be in the right culture, and maybe he just hasn't been. Like you know, with us, he was probably a little bit. He, he came right after Kronk. You know, very difficult situation. Clubs tough boots a bit of, to fill. Yeah, and I think he probably needs to be playing second fiddle to somebody who's, you know, physically bigger and a bit more imposing and uh, and and experienced at the same time. Somebody who can kind of look after him and um, and treat him as, you know, a, like a second half um, and allow him to develop as, as in that kind of second fiddle role as a half, if that makes sense. Well, it sounds like you're describing Matt Burton perfectly. Now, he would yeah, be the person yeah. that he's playing next to. Yeah. He'll be in the number six jersey this year now. I've made no secret of the fact that I have a somewhat of a man crush on Matt Burton and I, I genuinely think that... He is one of the most exciting prospects in the game. And it will be really interesting to see if he can actually lead a team around. He's still very early on in his own career. You know, obviously he's had success over at Penrith. And I guess testament to how good he is, he wasn't able to get the sixth jersey there, played in the centres instead and only became the centre of the year. Why not? He'll be kind of running Mm. the show at the Dogs. I really think he's up to it. I I think the NRL will learn just how good this guy really is. Um, and I'm going to call it. I know people shouldn't do this. He could be better than Darren Lockyer. I'm going to say it, and we'll see what happens. But 
Um, that's, you know, that's a I huge think goal, but it's a huge call. Yeah. Um, but I think he has the capacity to dominate the game. Maybe take a few seasons to get there, but I think in the next two to three years he could get there, and you know hold that mantle down for the remainder of his career. I honestly think he's that good, barring injury. And um, that I think if if for no other reason, Bulldogs fans should be excited about Matt Burton being there. So I think a lot of eyes will be on him. And as he said, he could be the kind of sheltering character for a guy like Kyle Flanagan, who you know isn't known for taking on the line. He's not a giant body like Matt Burton is, who's big and strong. He's more of a support player who pushes the ball around in the middle from left to right. He could be the perfect foil, maybe, for a mm. Matt Burton. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm quite interested to see how it all plays out. Um, hopefully, it mm. uh, doesn't play out well, uh, against us too well, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, as a neutral, be be watching their, their games with a keen eye. Yeah, Look forward I also to think, watching games in general, to be honest. It's been such a long oh, time. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I also think Dufty's uh, a bigger acquisition than people think. So uh, look for him to have a really big year this year as well. I want to get your ladder prediction. Most people have the dogs, I noticed, outside of their eight. I have them in the eight. That's my personal. I think I'm, I have them around sixth, which is a bit bold. But I want to get Xander Rosado's take. I'm a bit like you. I, I reckon they'll, they'll make the eight. I reckon they'll probably scrape into the eight. I do think it's still a new group and there's still a lot to be worked out. So I reckon they might just make it in at eight or seven. I don't know if they'll get quite as high as six because I think they'll take a while while to gel in the halves. You know, if it you do need that that to work and it might take a little while and maybe they'll they'll storm home at the end of the season and struggle at the start. But I think they'll make it. And not not to be the all roads lead back to the Tigers, but part of me just wishes Luke Brooks went there because yeah. You know, he's so stale over at the Tigers. He's not necessarily even wanted. We know that from the 19-man captaincy group. Um, So for him to go into this side and be all the pressure off, like be one of the lesser likes, he could be the perfect number seven over at Mm. the Dogs. I I don't know if it was even a viable option. I know there was talk that he might leave the club. I don't even know what the Bulldogs salary cap situation is, if they could fit him in. But um, I just think for both the Dogs and Luke Brooks' sake, that would have been a pretty handy acquisition. As a fan, I would love to have seen how it played out. But look, I guess to close off on it, Xander, my only hope for the Dogs this year really is that they invite Lachlan Lewis back to the club in an elaborate sting that ultimately sees Pangai Jr. catch him, stealing some footy boots red-handed and have cameras emerge from the shadows like a catch-a-predator-style show. And ultimately they hang in from the crossbar as a message to other would-be thieves. Well, thank you, voluntary tacklers. That brings us to the end of the show. And thank you, Xander Rosotto, for joining us and giving us all your expert analysis. And a huge um, fuck you to Mario, who decided not to turn up today because he was having a double vasectomy. And until next time, just do what Daryl Summers would do and befriend an ostrich for 25 years and somehow get paid for it, only to do blackface and have it exposed years later on Twitter. See you next time.